Well, it is great to be here. Uh, we have a lot to cover today. Been here, I, I don't remember, a couple of times, I don't remember how many years ago, but it's uh, been a few, so it's good to be back and see some familiar faces. I'm terrible with names, so you'll probably have to give me those again. But why don't we pray, and uh, we're going to talk about Christianity under attack here today. Heavenly Father, you are gracious to us, and uh, your mercies are just unbelievable, beyond our understanding. I pray that um, as we look at some very hard things today, to see what is going on and the compromises around us, that we would not be discouraged, but that we would be encouraged knowing that you are faithful and that we have hope in you that no matter what goes on in the world around us, no matter what goes on in this church, truth does not change, your love does not change, your promises do not change. And so we look forward to your coming, and we just ask that you would use us as willing servants to go spread the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ to not only this community but to the world, and that we would stand uncompromisingly on truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the reason I have this called Christianity under attack is simply because It's not just the world that is out there speaking poorly against God, his word, and Christianity. It's within the church, probably even more dangerous than anything else that's in the church. You know, the Bible says that judgment begins in the house of God. And uh, I believe, frankly, that our country is under judgment. Um, I, I believe that judgment is going to fall on the church because we no longer hold the word of God to be what it is, God's word. Is it Timothy who says that he gives praise to God because when when you receive the word, or when you heard the word that you received from us, you you received it it not as the words of men, but as it really is, the word of God. I don't see very many people in churches today that do that, that, that look at the word of God as what it is, not the words of men, but the words of God. Today we see people, we open up our Bibles, whoops, uh, that's, the, that's the book of Revelation. Um, we're more in Genesis here today, we're going to talk about that, but you see that's the problem, isn't it? People open up and they think the book of Revelation is a book about fire and brimstone. No, it's a book about Jesus. Likewise, Genesis is a book about Jesus. I don't care if you're in the front of the book or if you are in the back of the book of Revelation, it is a book about Jesus. It's not a book about fire and brimstone. Yes, fire and brimstone is mentioned, but it's about Jesus. But that's what happens when we take this out of context and we allow our own experiences, science, whatever the case may be, to interpret the word of God. Now, I don't know if any of you were here this Uh, this morning for the first service. I'm giving two different messages here today. Um, I just want to summarize just real quick what I did talk about there because it's so fitting to the same thing we're talking about here. You know, I asked them, I said, you guys believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? And, and, And they agreed. For the most part, I saw that everybody in church agreed with that. When I asked them if they believed that, um, uh, you know, Jesus healed a man's ear, just like that, or that he walked on water, they believed those things, which is really crazy. Because you see, none of those things are scientifically possible. Yet so many in the church today are saying, oh, the Bible Bible can't be right because the earth is millions of years old. Science has proven that wrong. 
and we're willing to deny the Old Testament because science has proven it wrong, but yet in the New Testament, if you attack the virgin birth or Jesus walking on water, you're a heretic. You see, science doesn't interpret Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. And by the way, I don't think science goes against the Bible. Not at all. The Bible is perfectly in line with science. It's just your starting point must be the Bible. Okay, but my point is, is that somehow the church has compromised and allowed science to begin to interpret the word of God, experiences to interpret the word of God, not scripture interpreting scripture, which is a foundation. I told them that, you know, you guys, one of the, one of the great things about Calvary chapels is you get to learn every week chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the word of God. But the problem is, is so many people who may even look at the, the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, aren't letting chapters interpret chapters. They're letting the Bible interpret those chapters and verses. Or uh, science, I mean. And that's one of the problems. You know, I believe that we need to give respect to those who are in authority because that's what Romans 13 talks about. There is no authority that exists except that which God has established. And so by no means am I trying to disrespect the office of the president here, but I do want you to see what Obama said here uh, a few years back. Listen to this. Policy. Which passages of scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with uh, Leviticus, which uh, suggests slavery is okay? Or we could go uh, with uh, Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount, a passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own Defense Department would survive its application? Folks haven't been reading their Bible. You see, what I'm saying is folks are, is that do read their Bible don't know how to keep them in context. Just like he or, or many other politicians, they, they don't know the context of even what they're quoting because it's taken out of context. It's an isolated little sound bite that they stick out there without any context of the, the rest of the verses around it, let alone the context of Scripture itself. Christianity has become a disease today, especially for your kids and your grandkids. I don't know if you, I don't know what Dilbert is, but uh, I, I saw this clip and it's very applicable. Watch this little cartoon I'm clip. About little Dilbert, he's not like other kids. What do you mean? Yesterday, I left him alone for a minute, and he disassembled the TV, our clock, and the stereo. That's perfectly normal. Kids take things apart. The part that worries me is he used the components to build a ham radio set. Oh, dear. Is that bad? Normally, I'd want to run an EEG on him, but the machine isn't working. It's worse than I feared. What is it? I'm afraid your son has the knack. The knack? The knack. It's a rare condition characterized by an extreme intuition about all things mechanical and electrical and utter social ineptitude. Can he lead a normal life? No. He'll be an engineer. <laughs> oh, no, not an engineer. That's the attitude about Christianity today. When people are Christians and they believe in the word of God as truth, it's, oh, no, not a Christian. Not one that believes the Bible. 
It's like it's a disease to be a Christian today. Like you can't think scientifically or, or normally. We'll, we'll look at some examples of that. We have other people like this. Lawrence Krauss. This guy is being groomed to replace Richard Dawkins. Now, he, a professor at Arizona State University, you may not send your children there. It doesn't matter. This man is affecting people all over our country. I guarantee you that there are people at the universities here in Wisconsin who just you know, parrot everything this man says because he is worshipped. And uh, look what he says about teaching creation. The United States uh, just uh, uh, stated that uh, teaching creationism is child abuse, and I, I think it is. Uh, namely, if you withhold knowledge or you do anything to children that puts them at a competitive disadvantage, uh, as adults, it's child abuse. It's mild forms of child abuse, but it's, 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 it's like withholding med- medicine, withholding knowledge uh, that later on will cause kids to become less competitive because evolution is the basis of modern biology. And, and teaching things that are basically lies, even if they're well-intentioned, is child abuse. I mean, people, it's not that people are doing this to be evil, but they're they're hurting their children, especially, of course, telling kids they're going to go to hell. That's definitely child abuse. It is inappropriate. And teachers not only should not be doing this, but in fact, if they are, they should be removed, in my opinion, because the purpose of education, as I've often said, is not to validate ignorance, but to overcome it. This is scary. To teach creation is child abuse. Now, keep in mind, he is one of the leading people in education in our country today. You know, I heard this 10 years ago. You know, some people, oh, teaching, but nobody really cared because it was just this, you know, nobody saying it. Today, we've got these very influential people who are saying that. Do you know in the UK now that it is illegal to teach creation in private schools? It is coming to America, folks. This is coming. It will not be long, and it will be considered child abuse to speak the word of God and what it says about creation right here from this pulpit in this church. It's coming. I'll tell you something. Laws are great moral teachers. Do you remember uh, the the pop singer, uh, Britney Spears? few years back, she uh, kind of went off the deep end, and, and she was seen driving her car with her child in her arms, right? And the paparazzi got pictures of this, and I'm telling you, it was headline news. What an evil monster she was, driving with her child like that. Unfit mother, terrible person. I mean, oh, they should take that child away from her. You know what the odd thing is? I remember when I was a kid, probably in fourth and fifth grade, my dad would drive with me in the back of the pickup going to the dump 55 miles an hour down the highway. I'd be going back and forth, you know, like a dog, you know. I was having a great time. And he'd even tap the brakes every now and then to make sure I was paying attention. (laughs) Nobody was saying, man, that Mr. Young, he's a monster. He should have his kids taken away. He was the principal of the public school in town. (laughs) Highly respected. You see, what changed? Laws changed. Laws are great moral teachers. And I'll tell you something. When it becomes illegal to teach creation in this country, you are going to be a moral monster. 
That's where we're headed. It's the same thing with this homosexual movement, guys. It has absolutely nothing to do with rights or discrimination or hate or, or any of these things. It has everything to do with validation, normalization. Because I've got quotes. I do a presentation on homosexuality. I've got quotes of, of these people saying, if we can get same-sex marriage to be legalized, 90% of the battle has been won. And they're right. Because you see, when it is legal to get married and you go against something that's legal, you're a monster. You're just filled with hate. We're not going to get into that topic here today. But my point is, is laws are great moral teachers. Lawrence Krauss, in one of his lectures also said this. Now, I hate to show you this because it's, it's just downright blasphemous. But I want you to see what your children and grandchildren are being faced with. Watch this. The, um, this is something that, that, that I wrote a whole book about, and someone asked me yesterday why I wrote that book. Because it is the most poetic thing I know about the universe. Um, but the amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus, the stars died so that you could be here today, okay? <laughs> And, and anyway, he's proud of that statement, and he gets an, an ovation. I mean, look, look at that. But this is the kind of thing that's teaching. Forget Jesus, the stars died for you. I want you to understand, first of all, by the way, there wasn't a single thing that man said that was scientific in there. Not an absolute word was scientific in there. Okay? But this is what's preached. You see, it doesn't have to be scientific. It's not about science. It's about faith. And, and Satan knows that if he can attack creation, the very foundation, then the whole structure is going to come down and collapse. <coughs> Look what else Obama said. Where we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, and a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. I agree. We are no longer a Christian nation because we have allowed Christianity to be under attack. We have allowed the world to take over because we have refused to stand on the word of God as truth. We've compromised. And we are no longer a Christian nation. Oh, there are Christians here, but we are not a Christian nation anymore. I wish I could say we were, but I don't believe we are. You see, we have things like the National Center for Science Education. In their, their, their main uh, mission statement, as you can see there, is this. Keep evolution and climate change in the classroom and keep creationism and climate change denial out. See, kids aren't taught what to think anymore. They're told what to think. 
not how to think, but they're told. They're being indoctrinated. And not just when it comes to climate change and global warming. I mean, many people in the church have been, uh, you know, I believe brainwashed according to that. And I know many of you are thinking, boy, I hope this guy doesn't talk too long because there's a game today. And I used an example in the first service that we all get brainwashed. It's very easy to get brainwashed. I've been brainwashed in a lot of ways. Even when I thought I had a very good, solid, biblical worldview, there were things in my life that had been brought up. It's like, wow, I was still brainwashed and I didn't even realize it. You see, you don't realize when you're getting brainwashed or else you wouldn't be brainwashed. Uh, the example I use a lot is sports. Uh, people love sports because sports, they're important. They, they, they help build character. Uh, you know, I mean, we want that for our kids. How many of you believe that, that sports builds character? Okay, yeah, see, you've been brainwashed. Now, I'm going to help you, it's okay, I'll, I'll unbrainwash you here, it only takes five seconds. Here we go, ready? If sports builds character, the NFL and the NBA ought to be teeming with character. They're the most athletic people in our country, shouldn't they have the most character? Instead, we have the most characters in the NFL and the NBA. Right? Now, I'm not against sports. Don't take me wrong. I'm not saying you can't go home and watch the game and enjoy it and that you can't play sports. Please do. Enjoy them, play them, have fun with them. Just don't believe the lie that sports builds character. Find that in the Bible for me. You know what I can find in the Bible? God's Word builds character. That's why usually it's the Christian athletes that have character, isn't it? Yeah. But you see, when we hear things so many times, it becomes truth to us. That's not where truth comes from. Truth comes from the word. Not from your experiences, not from culture, not from laws, but from God's word. It's that simple. And so we have people hearing all this stuff about global warming without really understanding the facts. I can't tell you how many Christians ask me, so, so is global warming real? Is it true? No, I mean, is it true that we've seen a slight, very slight increase in the last 50 years? Yeah. Is it true that that's changing and it seems to be cyclical? Yeah. Okay, no, global warming is a, is a fear tactic. It, what you're being told about global warming is not scientific. As a matter of fact, I spoke with the man who developed the program that the government uses for their scientific data for all the global warming propaganda that's out there. And he retired early because he said he couldn't handle it. His conscience wouldn't allow it because of what was it, how it was being used in a dishonest way. I'm telling you that what does the Bible say about global warming? Well, the Bible is not a science book. No, the Bible was never meant to be a science book. But guess what? There's a lot of science in the Bible. And I can tell you this. God says that he sustains this earth. He's going to take care of you. And yes, there are some judgments that come, you know, at the end there where the sun's going to scorch people. But that's not global warming. Okay? Uh, that's completely different. So the Bible says we don't need to worry about global warming, does it? We don't have to be fearful of that. We have God. Okay? So many things. Overpopulation. That's a myth. The entire world's population can fit in uh, just Pensacola, Florida. 
The world's population, not the United States, the whole world's population can fit in that one city. There's a lot more land than Pensacola. There's the rest of Florida. There's the rest of the United States, the rest of the continent, the rest of the earth. It's not overcrowded. But you've heard it so many times that you've begun to believe it's true. If it's overcrowded where you live, move. So likewise, we're now hearing that if you are a Bible-believing Christian and you believe in creation, you can't be a scientist. You can't be intelligent. You can't lead this country anywhere. I mean, that's what Bill Nye said. Look, he says, I say to you grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it. We need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can build stuff, solve problems. We need engineers. Let me ask you something. How many of you here are Christian? I would hope that most of you are probably. Okay. How many of you pay taxes? How many of you voted? That is so weird. Because Bill Nye is saying, if you believe, if you deny evolution, if you believe in in creation, you can't be a literate voter or taxpayer. Again, just like with Lawrence Krauss, not a word that this man is saying is scientific or reality, is it? But do you know that he was applauded for this? It's like, oh, yes, Bill Nye, how intelligent. You're just so wise. He goes on, he says, my concern is that we can't afford to raise a substantial fraction of the next generation of students who don't have the skills to think scientifically. We're at a crossroads in the history of the U.S. Without scientifically literate kids, we're going to fall behind other countries as inventors and innovators. You teach your kids creation, I'm sorry, they can't be an inventor, an innovator, pay taxes, or vote. Yeah, they're going to have the knack. That's what's being preached. That if you are a creationist, you can't think scientifically. Nothing could be further from the truth. Do you know the MRI machine was invented by a Bible-believing Christian? The invisible radar for the, uh, the uh, stealth bomber invented by a Bible-believing young earth creationist? Yeah. I mean, look at this. Larry Those King. In the United States who publicly claim no religious affiliation have risen considerably over the last two decades. This recent shift, does it affect the interest in science? Well, if we go away from religion, do we go toward science? I think what happens when you go toward science, you go away from religion. People get a lot out of religion. They get community. That's what people want. And a feeling of something's coming. Uh, And it's very hard to accept for many of us that when you die, it's over. That's really hard for a lot of people. But with that said, uh, my concern has always been you can't use tax dollars intended for science education to teach something akin to the earth is 10,000 years old. And to, because that's just wrong. I mean, it's very much analogous to saying the earth is flat. I mean, that you can show the earth is not flat. You can show the earth is not 10,000 years old. That's it. We're not so teaching So why do they continue to believe it? Uh, so apparently people with these deeply held religious beliefs, they embrace that whole 
literal interpretation of the Bible as written in English uh, as a worldview, and at the same time, they accept uh, aspirin, antibiotic drugs, airplanes, but they're able to hold these two worldviews, and this is a mystery. The Bible has history book. Bible is is full of history, but it's not a science text. It's not a science text. Yeah, it is, it is full of history. It is full of the history of humanity yeah. and the evolution of culture, but it is not a scientific document. Isn't that amazing? Nothing he says makes sense, but the world loves it. I mean, first of all, he says, you know, when you die, it, it, it's over. Uh, how does he know? That's not a scientific statement, is it? You haven't observed that. He's still breathing. My Bible tells me what happens, though. It ain't over. You will live for an eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever, in either heaven or hell. Okay? This idea about aspirin and airplanes, it's a mystery to him that we can believe in both. You know what my Bible says? Come to be a believer, those scales will be removed from your eyes. It's not a mystery anymore. Okay, it just doesn't make any sense. But this is what's being called intelligence today. Now, by no means am I saying he's dumb. I believe he's an intelligent human being. Don't take me wrong. But what I'm saying is he is deceived. He is deceived. It just doesn't make sense. And this idea about the earth, you know, it's, it's analogous to you saying, you know, the earth is flat. You believe the earth is 10,000 years old, you believe it's flat. Here's the ironic part to that. You want to talk about irony. Do you know that today there is a young earth society? People who still believe the earth is flat. Did you know that the president of the young earth society today, he's an evolutionist. Did you also know, because you've probably been brainwashed in our schools and whatnot, that when Christopher Columbus was sailing, he thought he was going to right off the side of the earth, right? Lies. Christopher Columbus never believed that. Go Google that. You will see that the whole idea that the earth was flat and that people believed that came from a fictional book. And then it was taken out of a fictional book and used against Christianity. People in society did not believe that any more than they do today. I mean, think about this. When you look back in archaeology and Greek mythology and all those kinds of things, did they say the earth was flat? No. Do you have Atlas holding up that big uh, pancake? No. You see them standing on the earth. You see all kinds of round things. We see the Isaiah talking about the earth being round. So, again, what he's saying isn't true, and maybe some of you have been brainwashed because you heard it so many times you believed it was true without really stopping to think about it. Let's see if Bill Nye is right, that you can't think scientifically and be a creationist. Every single one of these scientific disciplines have been started by Bible-believing creationists. I've highlighted some, you know, with the yellow or red lines there, just that names that may be a little bit more familiar to you, like Pascal, and, uh, you know, Woodward or Kepler, Kelvin. We've got Pasteur, Faraday, Newton, Bacon, now you're awake, right? Did he say bacon? Yeah. Francis Bacon. Yeah, you see, 
So many things, the Wright brothers, uh, there's all kinds of things here. We see Matthew Mari. do you know that uh, he's been noted as inventing modern oceanography today because he read in the Bible in Psalm 8.8 that it says that there were paths in the sea. He believed the Bible, took it at face value, so he spent a career looking for these paths, found them, and we have modern oceanography because he believed the Bible. But I'm sorry, if you believe in the Bible, you can't think scientifically. You see, even what we observe, even what history shows us, tells us Bill Nye is wrong, and yet he's being lifted up as this amazing man of new information. I wish I could say it was only people like Bill Nye, Richard, uh, Lawrence Krauss, and Richard Dawkins, but it's not. It's crept into the church. Now, guys, I want to show you something here. I, I, you guys have heard me talk. You, know, you, you now recognize my voice. Jesus says that my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. You see, to follow Jesus, you need to know his voice. And we get that because, really, you could, you could paraphrase that by saying, my people know my word, and they follow it. Let me show you something here, just as an example here. If I came in here and this is what I sounded like to you, you would be maybe a little concerned about my salvation. But you see, this is a very heavy gas called sulfur hexafluoride, the opposite of helium. Need to take a couple of breaths here. Don't worry, it'll come back. My voice will come back in a couple of weeks. But you see, you know my voice. And if I came in here and that's what I sounded like all the time, you would say, there is something wrong. But that's the problem, is there are people who sound like that in the church, and people don't even recognize that there's something wrong. Because they're taking the Bible out of context. They're, think, they're, they're letting science interpret Scripture rather than the Scriptures interpret Scripture. Let me show you some examples here. Carl Gibbertson, professor of Nazarene University for years, he said this, that the concepts of Adam and Eve as the literal first couple and ancestors of humans simply does not fit the evidence. This is what's being taught in a Christian university. Adam and Eve aren't real people. Yeah. How about John Piper? Listen to him. Well, this one doesn't want to play, but the bottom line is, he says that, you know, science, you know, whatever science says it is, it is. If the earth is millions of years old, what science says is true. He's let science trump the Bible. Here we have this guy. Some of you may recognize him. He's got a major church in Georgia. Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son. But it's okay, don't worry. He says he believes in the inspiration of Scripture. Okay, let's see if he does. The foundation of our faith is not the Scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always, who is Jesus? If we really believe that God is the creator of the universe, that all time, space, and matter, all time, space, and matter were created by God, 
And we take seriously what science has told us, that it all began with a singularity. That's what it's referred to. Right before, there's not such thing as before the Big Bang, because before is time and time began. So if we go to the singularity that was the Big Bang, that unfurled the universe, that continues to expand, religion and science conflict. At the end of the day, if you are an honest person, science must win. Here's the deal. Your Sunday school, God, probably could not be reconciled with science. I understand that. Your Sunday school God, the God that your church left you with as a child or even a middle school or a high school and never went beyond that, that God probably cannot be reconciled with science. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is problematic for adults. And here's why. Because the implication is the Bible is the reason we believe. The Bible is the reason we believe into college with a, the Bible says it, that settles it. And then a professor got up and says, well, there's problems with the Bible. And they begin to talk about things that are, maybe aren't true or historically, you know, verifiable. And your smart son or daughter that you spent thousands and thousands of dollars to get them educated come home and suddenly they're smarter than you. And they already thought they were smarter than you, but now they have a professor saying, hey, you really are smarter than your Sunday school teacher. And your parents, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, here's the problem. It is all or nothing conversation. You know, somebody with all this information, you know, comes to the, to the apostle Peter. Let's say the apostle Peter and says, Peter, hey, before you get all geeked out on this following Jesus thing, do you realize there's no evidence for a worldwide flood? Hey, hey Peter, before you get all crazy about the Jesus thing, do you know that there's no archeological evidence for the Exodus? Hey, G hey, Paul, but before you get all going, Peter, before you go crazy about the Jesus thing, you realize that okay, the earth is more than 6,000 years old, that whole genealogy in Genesis. Peter would have looked at you like, I'm not really sure what you're talking about, but, but I followed a man for three years who spoke like no other man spoke. He was arrested and crucified, and we thought, game over. Because he said too much to be a good teacher. He claimed too much about himself to be a good teacher. Game over. We're all in hiding. A bunch of women come babbling that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. I looked into an empty tomb. And do you know what I concluded? Somebody stole the body. And a few days later, I had breakfast with my risen friend on the beach. So I'm not sure about 6,000 year old earth. I'm not sure about archeological evidence. I'm not sure about all that. The reason I'm following Jesus is because I saw him die and I saw him alive. And I went into the streets of Jerusalem to say, God has done something among us. For the first 300 years. Now, I understand what he's saying here. Like I said, he, he claims to, be, to believe the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. But clearly he doesn't. You can say that, but that means nothing if that's what you say as well. I need to also tell you something that I said. I apologize if you were at the first service, but I think it's important for you to understand this. One of the questions I asked in the first service is, can you believe that the earth is millions of years old and still be a Christian? The answer is yes. Yes, you can. If he truly believes that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior, I believe that he's a saved man. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that we are all building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, some of us are going to build with wood, hay, and stubble. Others are going to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. And the day will bring those things to light as they go through the fire, it says. Now, if what you built survives, meaning the gold 
silver, precious stones, you will be rewarded. If what you built is burned up, the wood, hay, and stubble, he himself will be saved, but only as though escaping through the flames. I believe that this man, if he truly believes in the Lord as his Savior, will be saved, but only as though escaping through the flames, because he is building upon the foundation of the word of God, Jesus Christ, with wood, hay, and stubble, things that will not hold up to the scrutiny of the word of God. It's that simple. And so I'm not saying that this man is not a Christian. I wouldn't sit under his teaching. We have to have discernment. And what he is saying is, we don't want to talk about these controversial issues. We don't want to talk about creation. We don't want to talk about homosexuality, abortion, or any of these things that might upset people. Let's just hold hands, sing kumbaya, and agree that Jesus is alive. I understand that. I disagree, but I understand. His heart may be in the right place. But the facts are not. You see, what does the Bible say? Okay, the Bible says very clearly, whoops, I went back here. I don't think you're going to get to see what I want you to see here on this one either. But the Bible says, unless, when it talks about the resurrection here in Luke 16, 31, if they hear not Moses, oh, my computer is lagging here and then it went all over the place. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. If you can't hear Moses and the prophets, if you can't hear Genesis, if you can't hear Isaiah, you're not going to believe in the resurrection. Jesus himself said, that's the case. But what Andy Stanley is saying, if you believe in the resurrection, it doesn't matter if you believe in Moses and the prophets. You see, that's inconsistent, isn't it? Romans says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not by the resurrection, but by the word of God. Do you believe it to be true? I do believe the resurrection is important. There is absolutely no question about that. But 2 Peter 1.19 here says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to head, heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You see, this is a prophetic word. It is true, and it can be trusted. Jesus, the word of God that became flesh, you either believe him or you don't. If Jesus is the word and we decide, well, I kind of like this part, but I don't like that other part, then you're doubting parts of Jesus, the word of God. Okay, Calvin College professor Daniel Harlow also says that Adam and Eve can't be real people. The church must be willing to decouple original sin from the notion that all humans descended from a single pair. Why? Is he, is, is he getting that from the word of God? No, he's getting that from secular scientists who have a completely wrong foundation. One that says, I hate God, I reject the word of God. So therefore they interpret the scientific realm accordingly. And this is what's happening. You guys have probably heard about the emergent church. 
Many in the emergent church are saying that, you know that, that song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus? You don't want to sing that anymore. Because it's wrong. You see, the blood of Jesus had no power. There was no power or effectiveness in his blood. You see, here's why. Because evolution is teaching you that death is natural. It was around long before Adam and Eve, because the dinosaurs died before Adam and Eve. So death is natural, it's always been here. Therefore, if it's natural, Jesus' death is natural. Jesus' death can have no power. If death isn't a result of sin, then Jesus' death isn't the cure for sin. If Jesus' death has no power, why did he come to die on the cross for you? Their answer? To serve as an example of how we are to live for one another. To be willing to die for each other. Ultimate love. Again, the emergent church has gone down this road. Why? Because of the lie of evolution. The wrong foundation. And that's why he's saying we need to decouple original sin from the Garden of Eden. Professor Trimper Longman of Biblical Studies at Westmont College. Um, Read Genesis 1 and 2. My understanding of Genesis 1 and 2 is high-style literary prose narrative leads me to conclude that it's not necessary that Adam be a historical individual for this text to be without error in what it intends to teach. Peter Enns, formerly of Biologos. Who knows if it'll change in the years to come, and I'm still thinking about it. But all the Jesus stuff and all the sin and death stuff are, are still real. Personally, I don't need a historical Adam to make all that happen. And I understand why Paul said... Okay, you get the idea. How about uh, William Lane Craig? Okay, again, a huge Over name out there. 50% of evangelical pastors think that the world is less than 10,000 years old. Now, when you think about that, Kevin, that is... Just hugely embarrassing. Here he is as well on the Michael Corn show. Maybe this one's not going to play either. No, that one's not going to play. You see, it's embarrassing. And this is what's coming out of the church. These are, are big names in Christianity who have been brainwashed because they've heard so many times that science can interpret the Bible. And this is where we're at. Christianity is under attack, not just from the outside, but from within. Jude warns that. Jude warns that there would be false prophets that would sneak in among you. And we've allowed it to happen because we refuse to stand up. We say, oh, we don't want to, you know, uh, criticize others. Guys, we're to stand on truth. As I said this morning in the first one as well, I said, you know, is it wrong to be intolerant? Because I got news for you. I'm intolerant. Was Jesus tolerant? Is it loving to be tolerant? If I tolerated everything my kids do, would I be a loving father? No, but again, you've heard so many times, oh, intolerant, that's a negative word. That's a bad thing. Be proud to be intolerant because Jesus was. I'm a homophobe. 
already because you've been brainwashed and you've heard that's such a terrible thing that you're thinking, ooh, I can't believe he just said that. Yeah, I'm a homophobe. What's wrong with being a homophobe? Now, by the way, I love homosexuals, but I'm a homophobe because, you see, things that are dangerous scare me. Spiders scare me. I'm kind of an arachnophobe. Yeah, snakes scare me. I don't like them. Okay, because they can hurt me. Likewise, the practice of homosexuality in this country is not only detrimental to family, to society, but to the person who's even practicing it. All statistics and medical records will show you that that's to be true. So you darn right I'm a homophobe, but I love homosexuals. And I want to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ and let them know that there is hope. But you see, we're taught that that's hate speech. Uh Uh-uh, that's not hate speech. That's love speech right there. Because it's hateful if I would just let my child play in the street where he can get hurt. It would be very loving for me to yell, Get off the street now! To try and save my child. Speaking up for truth is the most loving thing that you can do. Here we have a Professor John Seal at uh, Fort College Community. Just audio. Unefficient. You've got to appreciate all genders. Got it? How many genders are there? Nope. At least four. I'm sure there are. There are males, females, bisexual, you can be both, or transgender. And no gender. There is no gender because they're eunuchs. So there's five. I will try not to influence you in any way on religion. I don't try to influence you. I really don't. Uh, I have friends of mine who uh, are, are, are Muslim. My best friend's a Jew. So I've got to have that down. And then I, so I myself am a Christian. And I'm trying to become a better Christian every day. First thing I do before when I get out of bed is pray. That's the first thing I do. I ask for a blessing. And of course... Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but I'm not going to take a chance on not doing it. So, I mean, I'm a Christian, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to say that you're wrong. I do not believe in the theory of evolution. I am a creationist. Hey, how long a day is to God? Mm. No, it doesn't, so don't, don't think it does. <laughs> don't put a time limit on God. That's all you need to hear. With friends like this, who needs enemies? Is your heart breaking yet? Mine is. That's why I said tonight when we opened in prayer, guys, we're going to hear some hard things today. I don't want to leave you without hope. Because there is hope. But we have to take a stand. We have to stand on the word of God for there to be hope. If the church continues to compromise... And, and we just, you know, allow from the pulpit love to be preached without the whole counsel of God. We're in trouble. Again, I said this in the first service, but I want you to hear it too. I am I'm grateful for Calvary chapels. I really wish that we had one where I lived. Because I love taking the whole counsel of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But you're, you're a rarity, 
Maybe some of you don't know that. Maybe some of you don't know what an opportunity you have to sit under pastors who take the word of God seriously. Because I tell you, I speak at hundreds of churches every year, and, and this is a rarity. You need to be praying for your pastor. You need to be praying. Now, don't get me wrong. I know this church isn't perfect. There isn't one. And if you think this church is perfect, just wait. Okay? It isn't perfect. Your pastor's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But we know the perfect one. And on his righteousness, we will stand. On his word, we will stand. And so pray for your pastor. Pray for this church because there are going to be attacks that are coming. Because Christianity is under attack. And all the more when we're going to take a stand on what truth really is. I want to show you here one of the things that our ministry is doing to try and combat this. And we've already seen some amazing things. But we bought about a year and a half ago this semi-trailer it's a 48-foot semi-trailer that we turned into a museum called the Semisaurus Mobile Museum. And we have put $100,000 on the inside of this thing. So we have all kinds of technologies and things like that. And our goal, since I'm based in Nebraska, is we want to hit every single town in Nebraska. Now, we're not just staying in Nebraska. We've already been invited to come up towards the Madison area here next uh, spring. And so maybe we'll, we'll get around in your area in the spring. Um, God's got to take care of a few things there yet. But bottom line is <clears throat> we figured that if we take the gospel message and the message of creation to them, there's a better chance if I pull into a town of 200 people, I'll bet we'll get 50 of those people to come through town because <laughs> what else is going on? You know, rather than uh, most of those people aren't going to drive to Kentucky to a creation museum. So we want to take it to them. We had our opening of this just Labor Day weekend. Um, we had it at Life Light Music Festival. I don't know, were any of you there by any chance? Probably not. You have your own here at Life, Life Light. Yeah, Life Fest. Yes. Thank you. Um, but anyway, um, you basically go in the back door there, and then you walk through and you enter out the front. There are three rooms on the inside. Sometimes we do some scientific demonstrations and things on the outside as well. But um, here it is at Lifelight. When you come in, the first thing that you hear, people are introduced to what the world may have been like before the flood. Based on what the Bible says, based on what we see in science, how things you know got larger and whatnot. But then right next to that, you're going to see that tree. That tree is one of my favorite things in the museum. A lady hand-carved that. There's over 3,000 leaves on that thing. And she prayed for a person with every single leaf she put on that tree. Just an amazing thing. But you see, we introduce sin. Because sin brought death, disease, and suffering, thorns and thistles, and we show fossilized thorns and how you can't have fossilized thorns that are 325 million years old if the Bible says man caused sin, death, disease, suffering, thorns and thistles. And it's an audio tour, so you listen to a tour as you go through. Then on the wall next to that, 
is Noah's Ark. And we talk about how all the animals fit in the ark and so on and how the built, a boat that big could be built. And, you know, the scientific things as well as talking about God's grace with the eight people that went on, the righteous people who obeyed God's word. Well, the flood then causes the Ice Age. So on the opposite side here, you see the Ice Age where we've got, we'll talk about what caused the Ice Age, how it wasn't very long ago, evidences of that and so on. You turn around, then you see that TV. That's going to talk about the Grand Canyon forming and how the Ice Age had played a part in that, more than likely, um, as well as some evidences that dinosaurs lived with people. Now, there's a, that big rock on the right side is a cave on the other side, so you come around the corner, and there's this animatronic dinosaur that roars and screams and scares you. Um, but uh, it's kind of fun because we have security cameras in here, too, so I can sit outside and watch people come around that corner and jump. So... But anyway, um, as you go turn left, then you're going to see this wall, which is just a bunch of things showing that dinosaurs did live with people from science, from all around the world, from different time periods of history. The evidence that dinosaurs lived with people is undeniable. You just don't get to hear about it. If you just turn around, there's a swamp. And in the swamp, we have a 12 and a half foot alligator, that, uh, a real one, just not a live one. Um, and so he's in a swamp. You can't see him very well in this picture. There's other things, obviously, as well in there. But the main message in this room is this, that dinosaurs lived with people. That means there was death before dino- or, uh, death because of man. Dinosaurs couldn't die before man if death wasn't there. That means death has meaning. You see, it's the curse of man's sin, but it was also the cure for it through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus could have stayed up in heaven and said, I forgive you, if man didn't cause death, because then death is just natural. It has no meaning, as the emergent church says. And so Jesus could have just said, I forgive you. But since that's not what the Bible says, and the Bible says it does have purpose, it is the curse of sin, that means Jesus' death meant something. It meant the curse that you deserve because we have broken his commands. He took upon himself, conquering that death through his resurrection. That's how much he loved you. He died for you. Then you go into the third room. In here we have some display cases and uh, there's a monitor mosaic, an eight-foot video wall there of six different TVs. So it kind of forms one TV or six TVs, just depending on what's being said at the time, but it goes through the gospel, kind of a Ray Comfort-style gospel with a final call. You've seen in this museum that science is not at odds with the Bible or the Bible is not at odds with science. And, you know, you've all told lies. You've done this. You need a Savior. And this is what Jesus has done. Are you ready for new life today? Call on Jesus and have that new life today. And obviously that's a shortened version of it, but ultimately it's a final call. You've seen you're a sinner. You've seen Jesus paid for those sins. Now what are you going to do about it in the third room? So all kinds of other fossils and things like that that you see. We talk about Lucy in there as well. You can see that there. Um, there's uh, this video here, or this monitor. You stand in front of it. You become a dinosaur. And uh, whatever you do, it does. So you get the dinosaur to touch these different pictures. And when you touch that picture, say one on antibiotic resistance, then the teaching of antibiotic resistance pops up. 
touch overpopulation, that pops up. So anyway, those are some of the things that are in the museum. Um, the reason I am bringing this up, as I said, is uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And uh, we, we need your help. We, we just need you to keep praying for us from the attacks. Um, there are some things that we do not have yet. We do not have our own semi-tractor to get this around, so at this point we have had to turn down a lot of people of where they want us to bring this. Um, I know God's got it out there. If you'll just pray, um, we need some finances to get uh, to switch out a heater so that we don't have to pull the second generator and you know just, just things like that, a trailer for another dinosaur that we have. I'll show you that in a moment. But I'm not asking you for money, but I am asking that you pick up one of our cards out there and stick it on your refrigerator so that every time you go by that and you see our business card, that you will pray for us, that God will bring in the finances, he'll bring in the truck, he'll bring in what we need. If you'll do that, this is, it's already done. The, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and I believe that there are a lot, an extraordinary amount of righteous people in this church compared to a lot of them I get to go to. So if you'll take that business card and, and, and just do that one thing for me, um, uh, it's exciting. He, I know God will take care of it. One of the things we want to do is let people know about other museums, creation museums in our country that uh, may be near them, whether it be Branson, Missouri, Glendive, Montana, Broken Bow, Nebraska, Kentucky, things like that as well in there. We do have uh, another dinosaur. Um, we, we have to have a little trailer to pull him with yet, too, but here he is. I'm trying to get him back, but he's a little angry right now. Very realistic looking, as you can see. My son's in there. Um, but it... Uh, that's kind of a draw card to bring people. So our goal is to get into state fairs and county fairs as well and then uh, have that around as a draw card for that. But like I said, if you'll just pray, I know God has answers out there. You see, we have hope. We, uh, the first time we had it out at Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a lady came up towards the end of the evening, and she was almost in tears, and she said, I just want you to know what an impact you've had by being here. She said, we have struggled with my parents for years with Christianity. They just, there's been a big divide. And she said, they went through the museum, and I don't know what it was, but something clicked. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know what it was either outside of the word of God that he promises will not come back void. We have hope. We don't mourn. As the world mourns, we don't lose hope like the rest of the world loses hope. You know, with this election, many people have lost hope, even with Trump. I, I've been of the opinion, it doesn't matter who won the election. God's in control. I believe it was Ravi Zacharias talking about, you know, how many ungodly leaders have been in the past. And you know what God did? He brought up people alongside them. In Babylon, 
ungodly leaders, but Daniel was there. You know, in Persia, we had Esther. And many other examples that could be there. We have hope. No matter what's going on in the world around us, we have hope. And so while I may have shown you a lot of things that seem hopeless, I don't want to leave you with that. I want to leave you with the promises of God's word. Because that's where the hope is at in Jesus Christ. And these people can't steal that from me. So be proud to be a Christian. Be proud to stand on the word of God. Be proud to be intolerant but loving. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Even when we were yet unfaithful, you have been faithful to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These people that we have talked about today, Lord, are sinners. And Lord, I was no better. So rather than be angry with these people, Father, we pray for them. We pray for our leaders. We pray that you would bring godly men and women alongside them that will stand on truth, that they would not compromise at all. We pray that these people like Bill Nye, Lawrence Krauss, that you would touch them, Father, for whatever reason, that I believe they're angry at you, that you would reach out and touch them with love, that they would see, repent, And be a wonderful testimony to your power. For there is no sin too great that is not forgiven. And Father, you didn't die just for us here in this church. You died for anyone who would call on the name of Jesus. You died so that the world might believe. Empower us, embolden us to go out and take that message to the world. For in that we have hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.